Your business is built on bold ideas. Bring them to life faster, push them further, and scale them worldwide without skipping a beat using Microsoft Azure. Stay productive with familiar tools, develop and deploy where you want with a consistent hybrid environment, and build engaging apps with intelligent features. Join the startups, governments, and 90% of the Fortune 500 businesses running on Microsoft Cloud by starting your free account at azure.com trial. That's A-Z-U-R-E dot com slash trial. My guests today are Chris Plant and Dave Tack. My name is Charlie Hall, and today we're talking about Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Welcome to Polygons, Quality Control. Plant, how the heck are you this morning? I'm doing well. How about you? Not too shabby. Dave Tech, thank you also for joining us. It's good to be here. You guys have been plowing a lot of time into Shadow of the Tomb Raider. And Mr. Plant, uh, you put up Polygon's review of the game. I think we'll I think we'll kind of start with you. You say that Shadow of the Tomb Raider is the culmination of one of the more perplexingly introspective trilogies in big budget video games. Yeah. What about this trilogy is weird? Because honestly, I haven't touched any of it. And you know what? You're not alone. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think that's been a problem for the series uh, is the initial sales of each game ha- has not always been great. I think eventually it's one of those games that does well in bundles uh, or at steep discounts later on. But yeah, they've, they've tr- had trouble finding an audience. And what I what I mean by that is, beginning with the first game, you get the sense that the people who are rebooting Tomb Raider aren't super comfortable with the history of Tomb Raider. Um, and understandably, uh, I, I think all of us are old enough to remember uh, the ad and marketing campaign for the 1996 Tomb Raider uh, and the kind of like hey, we have this character that we're going to uh, present as like a Playboy model almost. Um, And that comes first, and then her doing the Indiana Jones stuff comes a bit second. So with the the first Tomb Raider in, in this reboot, it was all about, we're going to give this character death. Which in some ways they accomplished, and in some ways I, I think it was a, a bit formulaic. They also started a, a, a different direction, which is we're going to make this grim, which led to just a tremendous amount of violence in these games. Um, I think the original games, there was something almost cartoonish and playful about them, where, holy moly, uh, the death sequences in this game seem to imitate like the Saw films. Um, or torture porn, <laughs> where yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty, yeah, it's it's a lot yeah. of like um, she doesn't just like fall in a pit. It's like she falls in a pit and you see spikes uh, come through her neck and her like gurgle some last breaths, and and that stuck with the series through and through. I think what's interesting about Shadow of the Tomb Raider is it it builds on all of it, like both the good bits and the bad bits. Um, it, it more than I think any game in the trilogy really antagonizes the Tomb Raider legacy. It is a game that, at least at first, really wants to explore what sort of guilt um, should Laura Croft have for both her and her family for 
going to uh, all these uh, locations across the world and effectively destroying their antiquities and their culture in the process of, you know, perhaps maybe saving the world. How well it accomplishes that, I think, is something we'll, we'll get into a bit later in the podcast. And then the other end of that is this is also just an extremely violent and, and bloody game. There are desiccated corpses everywhere. Um, there are puzzles that involve uh, solutions that are pools of oil and blood. It, it's really, it's a, it's a dark place to, to spend a lot of time um, at times, and then at other times, very, very colorful and bright and, and joyful. It's strange. You know, it's, it's, it's really wild to hear this kind of self-reflective take on this series. You say Croft is an heir not just to the wealth of her aristocratic tomb-plundering parents, but also their crimes. What do you mean their crimes? What 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 even this is a, a whole other layer. Yeah, I mean I I don't want to get too deep into the the spoilers and and you know in Croft's uh, right. personal discovery, but I don't think it's any secret if you've played any of the games to know that her father was doing what she was doing before she was doing it, that he he too was going um, from locale to locale, pillaging uh, tombs and, and presumably destroying things. Uh, throughout all three of these games, the little we do hear about him is that he was probably a raging egomaniac, um, probably a workaholic, um, probably somebody who thought his his desire to do good outweighed all all of the harm he was doing in the process um and and shadow the tomb raider is not subtle in suggesting that you know those traits um did not fall too far from the tree now for somebody like me who's kind of stepped away from the franchise for a generation or more dave what what is the gameplay like on this? It's I don't believe it's first person, third person action. I believe, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. D- dive a yeah. little deeper into that for me. There's some somebody should draw if they haven't already, like this sort of circle chart or graph about how the original Tomb Raider from 20 years ago eventually inspires the Uncharted series, which eventually inspires the Tomb Raider reboot, which inspires uncharted which inspires tomb raider like there's there's this whole sort of virtuous circle of influence here um and if you have ever touched an uncharted game you know what the tomb raider reboot games are like i mean i just add or last of us sure like what's what's interesting is it's not just naughty dogs uncharted um the combat in last of us is pretty flagrantly borrowed um Mm -hmm. in the tomb raider series yeah and if you liked any of those games, the, I think the odds are pretty good that you'll like these games because they feel familiar. It's a different, uh, you know, protagonist, a different story, but the same sort of big set pieces, climbing up walls, cameras panning out to show you beautiful vistas, th- that kind of thing. And it's, you know, it's a Tomb Raider game. And just as the name would imply, like a lot of what you do is raid tombs. Uh, and as as you said earlier, Chris, it's a game that doesn't it's it's a game that genuinely asks like, hey, wait a minute. What if tomb raiding isn't good? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> from from 
from from a certain you know look I, you know there are real world implications here too right or parallels at least right like the british museum is full of things from other places and in some sense like there's an argument to be made that that that's not the worst thing in the world and then there's an argument to be made that's like well maybe what you have there belongs to other people even if people from your country found it and the game wants to confront that in 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 various ways that and i think in one sense i think it's admirable that the game wants to do that right like it's not just a shrug it off um i'm gonna do this and not even sort of think about it it's a very 2018 sort of take on it right on the other hand it's a video game and i don't know how you make a tomb raider game without like just burning it to the ground like it's not a game that 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 is interested in pretending that Tomb Raider is no good and like we're done with this franchise forever, but it tries, um, you know, to varying yeah. degrees of success to to wrestle with that. We've got a lot more Tomb Raider to talk about this week, but as you know, on Quality Control, we're big fans of games, comics, and movies. In our next advertiser segment, brought to you by Microsoft Azure, we'll hear about another important fan base. Have a listen. The Portland Trailblazers have a loyal following. We have a building with 20,000 seats in it roughly. A little over half of them are season ticket holders and those are filled every night. But the challenge is filling the other 10,000 seats. And the person who is up to the challenge is Mike Schumacher. He's the director of analytics for the Trailblazers. We have all these leads and a lot of people that we could contact via email or like social media. But we also have a sales staff that can reach out on the phone. In sales, a call can make a world of difference. But calling some 200,000 people who went to see the Trailblazers last year is unrealistic. That's where machine learning comes in. Rohan Kumar is the corporate vice president of the Azure data team at Microsoft. Predictive analytics can be used to drive a much deeper customer engagement. You could essentially think about predicting customer behavior. You know, data tells you things which your intuition doesn't. For the Portland Trailblazers, it meant using the machine learning capabilities in Microsoft Azure to find that hidden fan. Things like watching specific sports channels. If you are a heavy LinkedIn user, or if you're a cord cutter and you have, say, a streaming device, um, those are also data points that were more predictive in identifying someone that was interested in purchasing tickets. Mike and his team were able to get more Trailblazer fans to games using Azure's Workbench. The result? In the 2016-2017 season, the sales campaign got one out of four people to buy tickets instead of one out of 20. Curious about how AI and machine learning can transform the way to do business? Sign up for a free Azure account today and play around. Get started at azure.com slash trial. A-Z-U-R-E dot com slash trial. Thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring this week's episode of Quality Control and for supporting the Vox Media Podcast Network. Chris, you say that the game is consistently playful and accommodating, sometimes to a fault. I mean, is, is that kind of what you're getting at there too? Yeah, a, a, a little bit. I mean, specifically what that's talking about is... I, it's just a game that I think it really, it really, really does want to please everybody. And that's not possible. I don't know if, if you've been on the internet in 2018. Um, that's just not the way it works. Um, no. And 
It, it, the, the kind of key example, and, and I wrote about this as a, a breakout on Polygon, it has this thing called immersion mode, right? And I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. It makes it so that everybody speaks in their native language. But since everybody speaks in their native language, nobody speaks to each other in their in a shared language. So you'll have a sequence where Lara Croft is in disguise as, you know, some uh, member of this native tribe and or culture and she will be trying to get past you know guards who are also presumably part of this group and she'll speak in perfect british english and they're like yep checks out even though they respond to her in in the local dialect and it's like well what is going on like why are why does everybody seem to know the same languages no every language really it's it's really really strange and then the weirdest part is I, I didn't know this until until I was writing about it. I, I looked up quotes from the development team about, you know, why why does it work like this? It, it, it seems so contrary. You would think the immersion mode would be... There are any number of ways it could have gone. I mean, so much of the kind of side quest of this game is Lara learning new languages so she can read mm-hmm. these, um, these objects. And that could have been one way, right? Like, you could block off who she can talk to until she knows a the language. There's anything you could have done with it. But the... What the uh, brand director at Crystal Dynamics said during E3, this is an interview with GameSpot, he said, you'll hear hear Spanish when you go into certain hubs. You will hear everyone talking to you in Yucatan, uh, Maya, when you go into the hidden city. So the idea that the player cannot actually know what's going on and not know what people are saying if they want that level of immersion, which is not what immersion is. Like, the immersion isn't like... You, the third-party omniscient character, doesn't know what's going on, but everybody, including Lara Croft, does know what's going on. Like, that's strange. The, the, the intention here was for you to hear other languages but actually know less about what these people are trying to communicate. And, and that, that seems to be a, a problem throughout this game. Going off of what Dave was saying about the, you know, the ambition of criticizing tomb raiding or really a lot of parts of the series i think people's interest in this game will go with like what is your comfort level with that like i i think there are there are a lot of fantastic reviews for this game across the internet and i think there are some people who do kind of fall in the camp of basically you have to burn this all down like there there isn't much of a uh, an escape route or redemption for a series that is built on the theft of history and the destruction of culture by, you know, <laughs> a young white woman from Britain um, with all the colonial and imperialistic, uh, you know, nods that come with that. Then, you know, I, I think in, in my review, I fell a little more into the camp of it's really interesting watching this game that 100% is one thing. Try to be... Um, to be more than that and to be better than that. And even though it uh, it, it does fail, I, I find it really, really interesting to watch it try to succeed and encouraging. But maybe I'm being generous with them. Uh, but I, I found that uh, entertaining. Well, not entertaining. I, I, don't, I, mean, I, I don't know a perfect word for it. But it, it was really fascinating to watch alongside... If you drop all of this, what I think is a fantastic um, exploration and shooter game on on just a raw mechanical level. Dave, 
what 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 does this game do that's mechanically different though that from those other entries in this kind of crowded Venn diagram as you describe it I'm not sure that it's mechanically different so much is that it's mechanically significant right it feels huh. okay it feels really good to move around to shoot to collect things to target things like it is a and I think you agree with this, Chris. Like it is a very good feeling game. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, yeah, I, I think that is probably the, the. It's it. I don't know if it sounds like faint praise, but for a game that is really about exploring these, um, I guess what I would call like small to medium sized open world environments, the exploration because the game feels so well put together and feels so easy to control. It, it's a point in its favor because those two things mesh so well together. Yeah, I think if you compare it with the Naughty Dog games, it is not as masterfully cinematic and fluid as those games are. Uh, it has a number of chase sequences that I think are really, they're nice, they're they're fun. Um, yeah. They're impressive in their own way, but they're not, they're not that Naughty Dog, oh, wow, I'm playing the movie. But the flip side is you feel way more in control uh, of Lara Croft than you do of Nathan Drake or uh, what's his name? Joel. Joel. Um, (laughs) Generic name, Joel. Uh, Shad. Sure, yeah. Travis. Uh, Kevin. She, it, it just has a lot more fun with movement. The climbing feels good. Um, it feels dangerous and and they just, they always keep you, I think, a little overpowered uh, in terms of the combat, which does not necessarily always align with the story, but does make for very, very fun action sequences uh-huh. in which you, I mean, by a third of the way into the game, I, I was telling Dave the second I got to this, you'll come across a crowd of villains. And even if you just, if you just upgraded your pistol, It'll be silenced. You can distract two dudes, pick them both up with the pistol, get the attention of another guy, light him on fire with a flare gun, which blinds everybody around them, and then sneak behind them and, like, stab them both in the back. Or or climb a tree and, like, leap onto them while they're all blinded. It's, it's so... It, there are so many number of ways to feel just absurdly powerful. And... In some ways, I guess you could say it plays into, into Lara Croft's actual story in the game, which is that she has become a deranged, um, I mean, just truly murderous uh, monster driven by her need to be the person who always saves the day. And then she kind of, I guess, pivots away from that. Maybe we'll see. I think uh, <laughs> your mileage may vary depending on yeah. uh, how you read the ending. Well, this is the twelfth game in the main franchise series on on PC <laughs> consoles. It's it's the twenty fifth game if you count all the mobile spinoffs that the game has had. Where do you go from here, gentlemen? So that I think that's the question that the game wrestles with Hmm. and i i don't know what the answer to that is because underlying a lot of what we've talked about so far is that sort of tension between they've got something good here but it might be uncomfortable at least from a certain point of view right and 
the story from the very beginning wrestles with that. All of that stuff, like that, that basically crazy in your control cinematic shoot a flare gun, distract guys, sneak by, all that kind of stuff happens as a sort of great example of the tension within the game, because the game is trying to also sort of question the methods of the person who does this. And it's not like the people aren't bad guys. Like that's not in question. And it's not that the things that you often need to do to save the day, it's not like those things are bad or necessarily morally ambiguous. Like bad people are doing bad things to good people and you're the force for good to stop the bad people. That's generally the thrust of it. But if you stop, you know, there's that suspension, I guess, of disbelief is what I'm saying, right? If you stop for a moment and you go like, well, uh, there's a, there's no spoilers, but there's essentially what amounts to a side quest, maybe a third of the way into the game where exactly what I described happens, right? Bad people essentially doing bad things and holding good people hostage and the people like explicitly ask for your help. And the way that I wound up helping them was just putting a lot of arrows into people's heads. Right. And like, again, good versus bad, bad guys are gone. Good people are free. I'm the hero. That's fine. On the other hand, like you end that again, what's effectively a quest and go back with like, you just kind of shrug it off and everybody else shrugs it off and everybody's happy. And it's like, well, it's a little weird if you think the, about it. The best part of this, the quest that Dave was talking about, the, the very best part about <laughs> this for me, and this is like, these are the tiniest, tiniest of spoilers. It's a tall, very, very small side mission, is that you do this. You go out, you murder these people who also, I mean, they're, they're presumably bad guys. They're also presumably basically been tricked into working for a really evil company without necessarily even knowing mm. what they're doing. Um, but then you, you go back to the, the guy who asked you, you know, to save the day and he's like, Oh, I, I can only repay you by giving you this precious heirloom, the family gun. Uh. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, I, sh- I shouldn't take that. You should give that to your son. And he's like, Oh no, 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 no. He's going to be a doctor. <laughs> like, and, and, and time and again, it seems like there's this wink mm. from the game of like, Oh no 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 no! Like, what you do is you you are a killing machine, um, and we do not idolize you. Uh, in fact, we are kind of unloading the burden yeah. onto you. In terms of what where it goes from here, though, for me, I was discussing this uh, with a lot of people on social media this morning and got a lot of feedback. My my initial thought was, oh, the path that I I for a moment thought this game would take, but it doesn't, um, is. Lara Croft has to step out of the way. Um, and maybe that is her taking a very supporting role, as I, I would said, like the cue from James Bond films. Um, and it being about people who are from these various areas across the world, then thieving modern museums of all the objects that have been taken from them. So... How how that would work? Who knows? I, I it's not a real thing. It would never happen. But even then, like the question is, Lara is still a white savior, and that's like the one of the biggest problems with the game. It still boils down to this idea that without without rich, um, white 
Western Lara Croft, how could these people possibly save the day? And and that's not the fix. Um, so I I mean I don't know. And and like Dave said, even though the game doesn't fully, I think grapple with all the stuff it wants to i do think by the very end it is also at a place of yeah it beats us like who knows where this series is going to go from here um we certainly don't want to commit to anything was i think the kind of message of the game by the end well definitely conversations were had uh, behind the scenes over here at polygon between the the writers and the editors on the the various pieces that we've written about tomb raider that went up uh, this week and, and it the game has our polygon recommends badge does it not it does and and this one i i racked my my head against a lot and it, it, i think it's a test of of what the polygon recommends badge is and can be in that it is a problematic game there is a lot about it that doesn't work i i think it is inherently worth playing and watching because it is really trying something and even in failing in it it is so so fascinating that it's worth taking a look at dave and i were, I were talking about this again of you know so many AAA games don't even make the effort they see the degree of difficulty and the risk and the potential blowback so they just don't do it and what i i just really enjoyed this game trying um and for that i i really do recommend people if even if they can't play it to watch it somewhere um to watch a recap of it to watch youtube videos to to really take some time to read criticism about it because i think it's going to inspire so many interesting conversations um this season at least i hope it does i hope it doesn't get lost in the the flood of video games that are about to hit the market. Well, I like that you're kicking off this whole Polygon Recommends initiative here with a problematic fave, Chris Plant. I really yeah. appreciate you really <laughs> you setting mean, the bar for us all. You mean a, a video game? <laughs> <laughs> a, a AAA video game, I think, is what you just described. <laughs> Thank you guys for taking the time today. And thanks to you at home for listening. We've got a lot more on Polygon.com, I'm sure. I don't actually know what that is, but because we're recording this episode way, way in advance, like a week early. But while you're here, have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? It's a whole lot of fun. Head on over to YouTube, search for Polygon. You're going to find guides, of course, but also our beautiful personalities over there on the video side of the house. They're fun to watch, fun to hang out with, and you're going to find us there. Until we've got another game to talk about, this is Charlie Hall for Chris Plant and Dave Tech. Thank you for listening to Polygons. Quality control. Keeping up with the competition is important. Taking the lead with unmatched innovation? That's impressive. Set yourself up to achieve more by running your apps on Microsoft Azure. Clear the way for unparalleled productivity with end-to-end -end development and management tools. Fearlessly integrate cloud capabilities across your environment with the only consistent hybrid cloud. Build the next generation of smart apps, discover transformative insights through artificial intelligence and real-time data, and scale across more global regions than you'll get from any other cloud provider. 
Microsoft believes every business and every organization, small and large, old and new, has something to gain by reaching beyond the limits of an on-premises data center. That's why Azure is the cloud for all. What will you achieve when you come to the cloud? Start experimenting and find out. Get started with a free account and 12 months of intelligent services at azure.com slash trial. That's A-Z-U-R-E dot com slash trial. One more programming note before we go this week. You're going to love this week's episode of Vox's Netflix show. That's right. They've got a Netflix show. Just like Quality Control, it's only about 15 to 20 minutes long each episode. And each one of them is a deep dive into a single important topic. They've covered esports in the past, which is one of my favorites. But this week, the topic is music. We got an early preview here at Polygon and, and watching it, hearing it really, I felt the same way that I do when I hear my favorite song. This episode explores the question, how does sound become something more? Were you aware that you had a superpower in having musicality? Make sure that you check it out if you haven't already by searching for Explained or Vox on Netflix. That's V-O-X or going straight to netflix.com slash explained. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.